You're listening to the Prince College Podcast, a ministry of Prince Avenue Baptist Church, where our goal is to lead you to trust and follow Jesus. Got your Bible, keep it open to Philippians 4. We're going to work through this together tonight. Uh, Many of you may know this about me, but I have a younger brother whose name is Jacob. Jacob and I are, are two years apart. We're really close. Growing up, we were always really close. And, and I've always been a little bit protective of my younger brother. How many older siblings do we have in the room? If you're an older sibling, some of you, I hope you feel this, that you always feel like a little protective of the younger sibling. That's how I felt about Jacob all growing up and still feel about him now to a degree, which is kind of funny to think about because Jacob is like a full-grown man at this point. He's, he's actually huge. I have a picture of Jacob. Can we put that picture on the screen? This is my little brother, okay? All right? If you don't know, that's 405 pounds on that bar, and he pulled it for four reps, and I just stood in awe and took a photo because little bro's not so little, anymore, right? He is a grown man with a child. He's also repping Prince College gear, so I was really proud of that moment uh, as well. This is over Christmas as we were working out together, but, but this is not the, the Jacob that I have in mind whenever I think about being protective over my younger brother. The Jacob that I have in mind, it's a very different picture. Uh, we have this picture. This is Jacob on the right, all right? So you could say that, that Jacob's gone through quite the evolution as a human being, all right? He's gained about 100 pounds of muscle since that photo. Um, this is Jacob whenever he was in middle school. You can, you can take the photo down. And this is the Jacob that I remember and being super protective. And there's one story in particular. I know I've told a couple of you this story before, uh, but whenever Jacob was in middle school and I was in high school, I would drive us back and forth to school. So I'd drop him off in the morning, and then in the afternoons, Jacob would walk from the middle school to the high school, and he'd get my truck, and we'd go home. Uh, and during that time, I began to notice a little bit of a shift in Jacob's personality. Jacob has always been like a joyful person. He's been a lot of fun. He's goofy. He's, he's just a ton of fun to be around. But during that year, whenever he was in eighth grade and I was in 10th grade, I began to see a, a shift in his personality to where he was just, he was a lot less joyful and fun and he was a lot more reserved. He began to be like a lot more bitter and he would get in the truck in the afternoons and he'd be like really cranky and moody and just angry. And I didn't know what was going on. And it's a longer story, but the short of it is this. I found out that every day that Jacob would walk from the middle school to the high school, that there'd be a ninth grader who was posted up on the path who would make fun of the middle schoolers who passed by. And Jacob was small. He was a really tiny human being. And this ninth grader just took particular liking to picking on my younger brother. And this began to wear down at my brother's confidence, that he, he felt powerless in this conflict. And so every day he was subject to this, and he felt powerless. He felt like he couldn't do anything. And over time, it really began to steal Jacob's joy. It really began to have a tangible impact on his personality. And one day he finally came clean to me, and he told me the source of all of his issues. He told me about this bully who'd been picking on him. I had no idea that this was going on. He finally told me one afternoon. And as you could imagine, as the older brother, I was less than pleased. And so the next day, I didn't wait for Jacob to come to me to get in my truck. I went to him. And I took with me one of my greatest friends at the time, whose name is Josh Jones. And Josh Jones 
at the time was just a man amongst boys. You know what I mean? Like he, like, I promise you, it seemed like he was 6'5 and 250 pounds at 16 years old. Like he was just a mountain of a human being. And Josh and I, we walk down to the middle school. We find Jacob, and we walk with Jacob on the path from the middle school to the high school. And whenever we get closer to the high school, we see a group of ninth graders hanging out. And I ask Jacob, all right, which one's the one that's been giving you grief? And he points him out to us, scrawny little ninth grader, like not even that much bigger than Jacob. And so I, Josh Jones and I, we went up to this kid, and we, we, had a, we had a polite conversation, you know. And we just let him know that by no means would this continue to happen. That he was never going to pick on any middle schooler, again, much less Jacob Tarver. And if he did, he would have a Josh Jones-sized problem. We just made it very clear that this was not going to happen to him anymore. And so this bully began to leave Jacob alone. And it was really incredible how fast the change was in Jacob. Like I saw this little dude who was this like ball of stress bound by anxiety and fear begin to lighten up to be his old self Again, to be joyful, to be at peace. What happened is he realized that he wasn't alone in his issue. When he realized that he could be honest about the things that were causing him issues, he brought them to someone who could actually do something about it. The result in his life was more joy and more peace. And that's exactly what I want to talk to you about tonight. In Philippians chapter 4, you see up to this point, In the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul has been telling us about who we are meant to be as followers of Jesus. The entire point of this series is we've been rallying around this truth that being a disciple of Jesus, being in relationship with Jesus, it's not just about praying a prayer, getting baptized, and waiting to go to heaven one day when you die. That's not all that Christianity is. Christianity is so much more than that. We've been rallying around the truth that because of the gospel, Because of what Jesus has done, that he was the God in heaven that left heaven, came to earth, dwelt among us, lived a perfect life, died a criminal's death, rose from the grave, and is now ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. He did that all for us. But he didn't just do it to get you into heaven one day. He did it to get heaven into you. He did it so that we could live our lives completely differently. Whenever we come into relationship with Jesus, it changes everything about who we are. We receive a new citizenship. We are made citizens of heaven, and that reality is meant to change everything about the way that we live. So we've been talking about that as we study the book of Philippians together. And one of the things that we've seen as we study this book together is that as a result of this, as a result of being in relationship with Jesus, as a result of being citizens of heaven, we are meant to be a people of joy. We're meant to be a people of joy. We talked about this last week, that 16 times in this very short letter from the Apostle Paul to the Philippian believers, he calls us to rejoice he calls us to be, a men, to be men and women of great joy. And throughout the book of Philippians, Paul gives us warnings of things that would steal our joy. So last week, we looked at one of the great enemies of our joy, that we seek to find joy in all the wrong places. That you and I, we have a tendency to seek joy in external pleasures or in individual accomplishments. What we talked about last week is that neither of those things will truly satisfy the soul, that true joy is only found in relationship with Jesus. And tonight, we're going to talk about two more enemies 
of our, that seek to steal our joy in life. Paul is going to address two things that seek to steal our joy, and they are the conflict among us and the anxieties within us. That's what he's going to address tonight. The conflict among us and the anxieties within us. He points to these things as, as things that seek to steal our joy, keeping us from being the people that God has called us to be, and he attacks these issues head on. And so tonight, the truth that we're going to see is this. This is kind of the main point of the text for tonight. So if you're a note taker, I would encourage you to jot this down. All right, the main point is this, that as citizens of heaven, we are not meant to be a people of conflict and anxiety. We are meant to be a people of peace and joy. As citizens of heaven, we are not meant to be a people of conflict and anxiety. We are meant to be a people of peace and joy. All of the texts that we're going to read tonight and study tonight will rally around that one truth, that we are meant to be a people of peace and of joy. So we're going to break this text up into smaller chunks, and we're going to talk about this together, and we're going to see how this is meant to be played out in our lives. So if you've got your Bible... Look again with me. I'm just going to read a few verses together. I want us to be on the same page here. So if you've got your Bible, look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. I'm going to read it again. It says this. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. It's the same language he used last week. And then he says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is one of just the most beautiful passages in all of Philippians. Had someone tell me before this that this is a favorite passage of scripture in the entire Bible, and I can see why. These are beautiful passages of scripture, but as always, Whenever we come to a specific paragraph in Scripture, we need to examine it within the greater context. We need to understand what's happening here. Whenever we examine this in the appropriate context, we see that in these instructions, Paul is responding to a very specific situation that is happening in the lives of these Philippian believers. Then in verses 2 and 3 of Philippians chapter 4, he's addressing two women who are apparently in conflict with one another, that we don't know all the source of this conflict, but they're in conflict, they're in contention with one another, and Paul is pleading with them to agree in the Lord. He's pleading with them to lay aside their differences and in humility to be united to one another. This is a major theme in the book of Philippians. We talked about this in Philippians chapter 2 whenever Daniel preached a few weeks ago. But in response to this conflict that's happening, this real conflict that's taking place amongst the Philippian believers, Paul calls these people to not let these kind of tensions and conflict exist, but to instead be a people who choose to rejoice in the Lord. He's calling these people to understand their commonality because of the cross of Christ. He's calling these people to move forward in unity and not in division. He's calling these people to be a people of joy and to let that joy impact the way that they relate to one another. So we talked about last week that we're meant to be a people, men and women of great joy, and that we're meant to be a people of joy that is unshakable because the joy that we have is not built on anything done by us. It's built on what Jesus has done for us. And what Paul is doing here 
is he's drawing here on, the, on that joy. And he's saying, as we experience that kind of joy through a relationship with Jesus, it's not just meant to impact us individually, but it's meant to impact us communally. That we're to be a people of joy. That this joy, that it doesn't just impact the way that we relate to God, but it impacts the way that we relate to one another. This is what he's saying to these people. He elaborates on this idea whenever he says in verse 5, he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That word reasonableness is, is an interesting word. In your Bible, it may be translated as gentleness or mildness or, or patience, graciousness, kindness, any, anything like that. It's translated a lot of different ways. What you need to understand is it's a relational word. It describes the way in which we relate to one another. And what this word, it kind of comes with this image, it's, it's a word that means a person who has a settled spirit and who understands that God is in control of all things. And that because they understand God is in control of all things, they are gentle, they are kind, they are calm, they're reasonable. It's an attitude that comes from realizing that God is in control of all things. It's the same attitude that we see modeled in Jesus himself. That as Jesus walks planet earth and he interacts with people, we see this gentleness on display. Like you think about passages of scripture like where, where Jesus is dealing with the woman who's caught in adultery. And the way that he responds to her in John chapter 8, he responds to her with kindness and gentleness. Or you think about even Jesus hanging on the cross in Luke chapter 23 the prayer that comes out of his mouth, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's a gentleness, a calmness, a compassion, a grace that comes from realizing that the Heavenly Father is in control of all things. That's what we see modeled in Jesus. And here, in Philippians, Paul is telling us that this is what's meant to characterize us. That we are meant to be this kind of people. We are meant to be confident in who God is. We're meant to be confident in his control. And that confidence is meant to produce in us a gentleness, a kindness, a compassion. We're not meant to be contentious people. We are meant to be reasonable. We are meant to be kind because we know that God is in control to every, of everything. And this text says that this is meant to be such a, a defining characteristic in our life that it's actually noticeable to the people around us. It says, let our, your reasonableness be known to everyone. Paul saying you're meant to live in such a way that this kindness, this compassion, this grace, that it is seen by those around you. You're meant to be calm, settled people realizing that God is in control and it's meant to change the way that we relate to one another. But not only that, Paul says that this attitude, this calm, settled spirit, is not just meant to impact the way that we relate to one another but it's also meant to impact the way that we address the anxiety that goes on in our own hearts, the things that bring us worry, the things that weigh us down. In the very same breath, Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, and then he says, don't be anxious about anything. Both come from the same, he's saying the same, he's addressing the same group of people. Don't, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, and don't be anxious about anything. I found it interesting this week, diving into that word, don't be anxious 
about anything. It's a trigger word in our society. Anxiety is a hot-button topic. And so I just begin to dive into this word. And in the original language, this, this word, it means to be troubled with many cares. And one commentary that I read talked about it, that it almost comes with like a word picture of someone, like this, this word in the original language, it, it carried the idea of one who's being pulled in many directions. And so you can, you can think, like on one hand, you have your purpose in life, your calling, your joy, your, your, your entire reason for existing, knowing God and making him known. Like that's on one side. But on the other side, you have all the cares of life the things that weigh you down, and the image is just one that's being pulled in both directions, and the threat is that we would literally be pulled apart. I've never heard a better description of anxiety than that. That's exactly what anxiety does to us. It pulls us in these different directions. It's like this spiritual tug of war that takes place in our very souls that threatens to pull us apart at the seams. Many of us in the room know exactly what that feels like, right? That's what he's saying. And Paul's saying that our joy in the Lord, that our relationship with Jesus, it's meant to impact that too. That whenever we come to realize who God is and we see his power and we see his might and we see his love and his care for us, it's not just meant to impact the way that we relate to one another but it's also meant to impact the way that we address the anxieties in our own hearts, that because of our relationship with Jesus, we're meant to be men and women of gentleness and peace. We're meant to have peace with one another and peace within. We are not meant to be a people of conflict and anxiety. You were created for so much more for that. You were created to be a people of peace and of joy. That is what this text shows us. But can we be real for a second? Like, can we pause? And can we just ask the question, is that our everyday lived experience? Like, we see in Scripture that this is what we're called to, but let me ask you, does that kind of peace, does that kind of joy does it really characterize your life? It sounds amazing, right? To live with that kind of peace, to live with that kind of joy, like sign me up. I want that in my life. But the reality is this. We are living amongst a day that we are, we're living amongst some of the most anxious generations that have ever walked planet Earth. And many of us in the room tonight, our lives are characterized by all sorts of relational conflict. Conflict with our parents, conflict with our roommates, conflict with our boyfriend or our girlfriend, conflict with professors, conflict all over the place. Conflict is everywhere. And that piles on top of the anxieties that are already within us. Anxieties about our future, about career, finances, what we do with our lives. Anxieties about school and the things that are demanded of us. Anxiety about situations going on in our family. This is what seems to pervade our lives. That this type of conflict, this type of anxiety, it seems to always be like simmering underneath the surface of our lives. Threatened to boil over at any given minute. We feel that tension of one who's being tugged in multiple different directions. But yet here in scripture, we see that that's not meant to characterize our life at all that we're not meant to be a people of conflict and anxiety, that we're meant to experience something altogether different, 
that through our relationship with Jesus, we're meant to be a people of peace and a people of joy. And so the question we have to ask tonight is how do we begin to step into that? How do we take steps away from conflict and anxiety and towards peace and joy? What are things that we can begin to do to experience this more fully in our lives? That's the question for tonight. And Paul answers it in these few verses. He gives us three things that we must do if we are going to experience this kind of peace and this kind of joy in our lives. And I want this for you. I know that you are living in the midst of so much anxiety, so much conflict, and in the midst of that, we are called to be something different. But you will not be that something different on your own. You need the power of God. So let's talk about these three things that we can begin to do to step away from the anxiety, to step away from the conflict, and to step towards peace and joy. Three things. We'll go one at a time. The first is this. If we're going to experience this, we must first realize his presence. Realize his presence. If we are going to be a people of peace and of joy, we must be a people who realize God's presence in our lives. So much of the anxiety and turmoil that we feel is a result of believing the lie that we are all alone. And we have to realize that if we are in Christ Jesus, that because of the gospel of Jesus, we are never alone. So much of this text that we just read is a reminder to us of God's presence in our lives. He says to let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Why? For the Lord is at hand. This text talks about the peace of God guarding us. It talks about the peace of God being with us. It's a, so much of this is a reminder about God's presence in our lives. This is a common theme throughout the scriptures. Perhaps you've heard it said before, if you've been around church for a while, perhaps you've heard it said before that the most repeated command in all of scripture is do not fear. Over 350 times throughout the narrative of Scripture, we are commanded, do not fear. But did you know that the, a lot of those commands to do not fear also come with the clarifier, do not fear because your God is with you. Like we're called not to fear, not just because God doesn't want us to be scared, because he wants us to realize that we are with him. Like, I got a few examples for you. Yeah. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Joshua 1, 9, really popular verse. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is all over the Bible. And I am so thankful for these reminders of God's presence in our lives. I am so thankful that the call to be courageous, 
The call to be people of peace. The call to be people of joy. It's not just some cold-hearted command. It's a promise to be with us. Like any of you in the room who have experienced real anxiety or real insecurity, you know that like one of the worst things that people can say to you in the midst of that anxiety and fear is like, well, just stop being scared. Like, that's the worst, right? Like, if you, if you have a friend who deals with anxiety, don't tell them just not to worry. That is the least helpful thing that you could ever say to them. That's not what God's saying. He's not saying, hey, just don't worry. He's promising to be with you. It's a much different thing whenever someone says, do not worry, versus someone who's willing to step into the worry with you. Right? And that is what this text is showing us. That through the gospel of Jesus, you have one who is willing to step into the fear with you. He has promised to be with you. We must see God this way. See, I have a fear that a lot of us, that we view God as just very distant in our lives. That perhaps we believe in him, yes. We believe that he's powerful, yes. We believe that he's done even incredible things. But a lot of times we go through our day-to-day and we have this feeling that God is just so far away. He's distant. But can I just tell you, that is not the image that the Bible portrays. That is not how the Bible talks about our God. The Bible tells us that God is not distant, but he's very present. He's with you. If you are in Christ Jesus, you're never alone. I remember very vividly whenever this reality landed on my heart in a new way that completely changed my life. I was your age. I was in college. I, uh, I was walking through a really difficult season. A lot of pain, a lot of darkness, just a lot of things going on in my family. And it was hard. It was hard. And I felt this pressure throughout that season to, like, to be the one who was like, encouraging, to be the one who was leading, to be helpful. But the reality was I was just feeling crushed by all the responsibility and all the stuff that was happening all around me. It was really beginning to break me. And I remember going home one afternoon after my classes. I lived at the River Club townhomes on Timothy Road. Shout out River Club. Thanks, Bowen. Um, And then I walk in the door, and nobody's there. My roommates are all gone. And I sit down on the couch, and I just, I'm just going to watch Netflix. I'm going to veg out for a second. And you know how Netflix has like the movies that kind of like are recommended at the top? The recommended movie was this movie called Radio. I don't know if you've seen the movie Radio. It's a very sad movie. Um, It's a movie about a guy who has special needs who goes by the nickname Radio. And he helps out with his local high school football team. And so I start watching this movie. And there's a scene very early on in the movie in which the football players on the team, they grab Radio. They grab this guy. They tie him up, they put tape on his mouth, and they throw him into a shed. And they begin to pound on the walls, they begin to scream, they begin to yell, and radio's just inside this shed, and he's just terrified. And the coach walks up, and he sees this happening, and he makes the players spread out, and he opens the door, and radio's just cowered in the corner of the shed, and he's terrified, he's absolutely afraid. And the coach tries to set him free, but Radio recoils because he thinks that the coach is there to hurt him too. And the coach, just very kindly, very compassionately, he gets down and he speaks very calmly to Radio. And he says, son, it's going to be okay. 
but you have to sit still so that I can set you free. And y'all, I don't, I don't know if God makes a habit of talking to people through movies. You can ask Josh that. It's above my pay grade. But what I do know is in that moment, I wept. In my living room, watching radio on like a Tuesday afternoon, I wept. Because I knew that God was using that moment to remind me that he was with me. That he was with me. He, in the darkness, in one of the most difficult moments of my life, he was not belittling the pain, but he was showing me that he was with me in it. He was showing me that he was not distant, that he was very present. He was inviting me to sit still so that he could do something about my situation. That's what I want for you. In the midst of all of the anxieties you face, the worries, the fears, I want you to realize you're not alone. You have a God who's with you. Realize his presence. The second goes with it, and it's this. It's request his power. Request his power. You see, it's not just about realizing that he is present with you. It's about requesting his power to help you in the situations you find yourself in. The text literally tells us, it says, in everything, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now, I want you to notice the play on words that happens there. Like it, it, it says this, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. So it's telling us not to be anxious about anything, but to pray about everything. Like notice that play on words there. That is there on purpose. Don't be anxious about anything. Pray about everything. This right here is an invitation from God to, inv- to bring absolutely everything in your life to him. That if you want to be a person who lives a life of peace and of joy, you must be a person who knows how to go to God with everything happening in your life. One commentary that I read this week, it put it this way. It says, there is no shortcut to peace, but prayer is the pathway to peace. That if we want to be a people of peace, we must first learn to be a people of prayer. Praying about absolutely everything. Our fears, our anxieties, our insecurities, our desires, everything that happens, we need to learn to bring all of these things to the Lord. I don't think we think about prayer like that. So often we think about prayer as like a last-ditch effort, that whenever things are really bad and we feel really powerless, that's when we pray. But this text is showing us that prayer should not be a last-ditch effort in your life. Prayer should be our first move. Prayer should be one of the first things that we do. We bring all things to the Lord, the big and the small. We should realize that because of the gospel of Jesus, we have direct access to the heavenly father and he is not just present with us. He's actually powerful enough to do something about the things that face us. He's not just present, he is powerful. That's what my little brother learned that day, walking from the middle school to the high school. He learned that big brother wasn't just present He was powerful enough to do something about a situation, especially when Josh Jones was around. That's what you need to understand as well. Something similar happens in our relationship with God. See, God is all-knowing. He knows everything 
that you face. He knows everything going on in your life. But he wants us to come to him and invite him in to ask for his help. We are literally told to make our requests be made known to God. Understand, it's not that he doesn't know them. He just wants us to voice them to him and ask for his help. You have been invited to ask God for help in your time of need. The book of Hebrews talks about this very same idea. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. This is what is available to us in the gospel, that we have the opportunity to come before God and not only be in his presence, but actually request his help. Are you doing that? Like you, if you are in Christ Jesus, you have that opportunity. But are you actually taking advantage of that? The text tells us to come before him to request help in our time of need. And the text then tells us that whenever we do that, that the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That word guard, that's military language. To stand in defense, that the peace of God will stand in defense over our heart and over our mind. That's what this text is promising us. Remember that the Apostle Paul is writing these words from prison. There's literally a Roman soldier that's standing guard over him at all times. And he seems to call on that very idea and say that if you will pray and make your request be made known to God, then the peace of God will stand guard over your heart and over your mind. And notice what he's not saying there. He's not saying that if you pray about it, then the situation that's bringing you anxiety will go away. He's not saying that. But he's saying if you, if you will bring these things to the Lord then the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. What he's showing us here is that as we request his power, we can receive his peace. That's what he's showing us. As we request his power, we can receive his peace. That is what the text is promising us here. We are invited to bring all things to the Lord, the small things, the big things, the things causing us anxiety, the conflicts in our life. We're invited to bring everything to him and to ask for his help. So we realize his presence. We request his power. And lastly, we reorient our pursuits. We reorient our pursuits. Paul has used a lot of active language throughout the book of Philippians. He's instructed us on practical things that we are to do if we're to live out this life that God has called us to. And he begins to bring this section of teaching to a close. He does a very similar thing here. He uses active language telling us things that we're meant to do, but he begins first in our minds. He encourages us to change the things that we think about. He encourages us not to be so preoccupied with the conflicts among us or with the anxieties within us, but he encourages us to think about the things of the Lord. Look again in your Bibles, verse 8 of Philippians chapter 4. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. The word used for think there, it was actually a mathematical term. It means to give careful calculation to. 
Is Paul saying that we're meant to be actively engaged in this, that we're radically meant to reorient our thought life. We're meant to change the things that we think about. Why? It's because Paul knows that we have a tendency to become what we behold, that we become like what we choose to think about. So if you spend your time thinking about and looking at lustful things, you tend to become a lustful person. If you tend to fill your time and your mind with, with angry thoughts from other people, you think about like your grandparents who sit around all day watching Fox News and they're just bitter all the time. There's a reason for that. If you fill your mind with things of anger, you become a person of anger. If you fill your mind with thoughts of just the conflict around us, we tend to become a contentious person. If we tend to dwell on the things that bring us anxiety, we tend to become an anxious person. We become what we behold. But notice that that tendency can actually be used for our good. That if we think about the right things, it can actually be a benefit to us. That if we begin to fixate on that which is true, that which is honorable, that which is pure and lovely, that that will impact the type of people that we become. That we become what we behold. Paul is showing us here that this life with Christ is so much of our life with Christ is a battle that takes place in our mind. One of the most famous lines from the Apostle Paul is Romans 12, verse 2, where he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That transformation begins in the mind. We become a people of peace and of joy by dwelling on the things of peace and joy. That's what he's encouraging us to do to reorient our pursuits, to change the things that we think about and to move in a new direction, to leave behind the things of anxiety, to leave behind the things of conflict and to begin to take steps towards, active steps towards the things of peace and the things of joy. And I understand it's easy for me to stand on this stage on a Wednesday night and tell you to do that. It's a much more difficult thing to put that into practice. But it is possible. I remember not that long ago, Two years ago, actually almost two years ago to the exact time frame, I went on the Manchester Spring Break trip. Shout out Spring Break Mission Trips. I'm excited for you guys. It's going to be awesome. I went on the Manchester trip two years ago. And it was, uh, we flew overnight from Atlanta to London. We landed in London at like 6 a.m. their time. We had a marathon day of like seeing all the cool stuff in London. Then we caught a train from London to Manchester, got checked into the place we were staying, finally laid down my head on a pillow. And I hadn't slept in like 36 hours. I was exhausted. I was overwhelmed. And in that moment, I just began to feel really anxious. I began to feel really insecure about being on this trip and thinking I didn't have anything to offer and just being worried about things going on back at home and like what if something happens at home and I'm here and all of these thoughts began to invade my mind. And in that moment, I made a decision to not dwell on those things and I just began to pray and I began to just change the things that I was thinking about and I began to think about all that I'd seen God do in my life. I began to think about the college students that were on that trip with me and how excited I was to see them share the gospel. And I began to think about the, the church planner that is there and how much I love Lucho and his family. And I just began to dwell on those kinds of things. And it was incredible that as I began to do that, my heart rate began to decrease. I began to step out of anxiety and into peace. I want you to know that you can do that. That is something that you can begin to do. Because here's the reality. Every single one of us in this room, we're all bullied by something. 
just like my younger brother, we're all bullied by something. There's something that threatens to steal our joy. Some fear, some anxiety, some insecurity, some feeling of being overwhelmed. And I want you to know that it makes me so angry to see the enemy use these same tactics in your life and threaten to steal your joy, threaten to steal your peace. But I want you to know you don't have to let him do that. The bully doesn't have to win. That you have one who is with you who is greater than any who would ever come against you. I need you to understand that. I want you to understand that we live in the midst of a generation that is so contentious, that is so anxious. And in the midst of the days that we are living in, we have been invited to portray something different, something beautiful. We're not meant to be a people of conflict and anxiety. We are meant to be a people of peace and of joy. But that will only happen if we take time to realize God's power, to request, to realize God's presence, to request his power and reorient your pursuits. I want this for you.